Radio Book Rwanda. Isabamu ritimu chinyarwanda. Radio Book Rwanda. Radio Book Rwanda. Welcome to Radio Book Rwanda. I'm Lucky Grace. Out in the world, there is a small red book with a story waiting for words by Rwandan writer Mutsinzi Eric and illustrations by Kenyan artist Nduta Kariuki. This podcast invites you into the universe of those pages and their theme, relationships. People are not objects. They have got ideas. They have got to share. Trust is very complicated, right? So you need to believe that whatever you say to the person, they're not going to... Like freak out, they need to understand you're saying it out of honesty and love for them. This radio book features Mutinzi Eric in conversation with my colleague Eloise, an interview with the artist from Kenya, Dutta Karyuki, and the real life story of a couple sharing the conflicts and successes of their own relationship. We're going to start with an excerpt from Waiting for Words, a story about two people trying to have an honest conversation, and then Eloise and Eric trying to do the same thing. Keza glowered at Kasana, words like flames rushing from her mouth. She opened the door to their home and slammed it shut behind her. Gasana stood up from the couch, reached for his coat and made for the door. He stretched out for the door handle, but his arm seemed to remain there. He released it, ran one hand over his balding head and exhaled. Keza would return, he reassured himself. My name is Eric Mutsinzi and I am a writer, a computer science student, and a Rwandan. So what inspired this story? This thought just kind of like came to me. What would it feel like if I was involved in a relationship where I wasn't able to have kids? Because I knew that was real for a lot of people. And I have a few relatives that don't have kids. Not because they want to, but because they can't. Do you think the pressure that Keza feels is it? largely self-imposed, or do you think it's imposed by those around her? So I feel that her character really wanted to have kids, and just not being able to have kids again and again for many years, I think, takes a toll on her. And she's a strong character. You have to realize she's like a a professor of history, and she's, she's a modern woman, but... So I don't think it's, it's the society that's, like, pressuring her to have kids. It's, it's a personal pain for her. What are you hoping to pass on to the next generation? I think just, just a culture of, of sharing and a culture of good-spirited nature. And I hope the next generation is able to connect more than the current and past generations have connected to their peers and to everyone else. Drawing from Keza's character in the story, I would say it's very difficult to share painful aspects of your life with anybody. And I don't think it's a problem of like society in any way. I think it, it comes down to trust and how people react to certain things. 
it's very difficult, like I said, to communicate very honestly without being provocative, you know, without being, without making the other party feel bad about themselves. So I think it takes a lot of maturity for people to talk in a way that they're able to say what they mean and they want to say, but whilst respecting the other party. So this dishonest kindness is just, I feel like it's very normal and it's, it's a part of society and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to intimate relationships, I feel like people have to grow beyond the dishonest kindness. Has this happened to you? Um, yeah, yeah. And how did you solve it? I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I did. You didn't. just walked out of the relationship? Well, I suppose so. I think we both walked out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you come to a moment where you're like, shit, this is so much work. Do we work or do we walk? <laughs> Definitely. It's only when you've been through it that you're able to have another shot at it and this time hopefully do it better. But it depends on the person and yeah. I'm always amazed at how close you can be to someone and there'd be like almost zero cultural misunderstandings or whatever, but there's still so many miscommunications surely from the fact that you're two different people. <laughs> Definitely, and I, and I feel like trust is very complicated, right? So you, you need to really trust each other if you're gonna... You need to believe that whatever you say to the person, they're not gonna, like, freak out. They need to understand you're saying it out of honesty and love for them. So what is trust for you? Trust... Trust is being able to rely on someone without really communicating it. So you, you, you sort of have this thing with a person where you know, even without saying something, they're, they're going to be reliable and they're going to understand because of this bond that you have. And it's very difficult to put it into words, but I feel like in a way, Keza and Gasana trust each other because towards the end of the story, they both know they're not going to be angry at each other. They need to really sort this thing out. And I think that's a lot of maturity, <laughs> you know, yeah. Do you see yourself in the position that Keza and Gisana find themselves in? When you sort of imagine your life later down the line, can you see yourself playing either of those roles? Yeah, I hope I can have as much trust as they do. <laughs> I really admire the characters. I, I felt really good creating these characters. Why is it of interest to you to make quite strong characters rather than sort of weaker characters who you feel might have more room to grow? Um, I, I think I like good endings, <laughs> but then the, the, they have to feel like really deserved, you know? And if you have a strong character, you're really, you're really rooting for this character and you want them to, to reach the goal that they want in the story, whatever that may be. But then also, I love portraying like a vulnerable aspect to characters. So tell us more about the vulnerable aspects of Keza and Kesana. So Keza, on the surface, is not very vulnerable, but the story begins with her finally becoming vulnerable. And, and for Kesana as well, even though he's not able to properly express his vulnerability, you could tell like at the end of the story, he's sort of vulnerable because he, he finally is not in control. And, and he's reaching for these words and he can't find them. But we hope that they're going to find them. They're, they're still waiting for the words. And I think it's important to, to portray masculine <laughs> vulnerability. 
because I don't think it's something you see in stories very much. Do you think that Rwandans are particularly sensitive to that? Very much. Women are very free, they're strong characters, but then men are always expected to behave in certain ways. Culturally, they're not expected to, to be vulnerable and to show that, right? Culturally, Rwanda really has this masculine archetype of a character that doesn't express themselves very emotionally. But then again, I don't think it's always been that way because I was listening to um, these praises that like kings used to do for their women. And you know, they feel so gentle and it's like, it's this side that you don't really see right now. I don't know why. Do you think you yourself have got better at that? I feel like it depends on, on, on who I'm with and what situation I'm in. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I think it's much, much easier to talk in writing <laughs> than to people, especially if I don't really know them. But yeah, I think it's something that I'm still working on and developing. The house was quiet and dark when Keza arrived. The clock ticked reluctantly and a soft humming filtered from the kitchen. It was Kairevka's Mori playing on the radio. It was consoling. A haven for her grief. The television was still on but muted. Kasana lay asleep on the living room couch. Keza considered the scene for a moment. There was a gentleness about her husband. His broad shoulders, his long frame, immobile and powerless. Keza turned off the television and fetched a blanket from the bedroom. When she returned, Gasana was sitting up, looking about the room. Keza laughed. She sat beside him and kissed him on the cheek. Sorry. Don't be. You have to listen to the radio books to find out what happens next. In the meantime, we reached out to a couple in Kigali, Dativa and Matthew, and then they told us about their relationship and how they try to communicate with each other. When she was pregnant, at that time, she had no job. Me, I had job. So I could leave in the morning and she would accompany me to the station to pick a car. After the baby, she got a job. She woke up and got ready and then went to work. She was rushing, breastfeeding the baby and then going. Nadi, that day she looked at the time and she was very late, so she took a motor without saying goodbye. After the baby, she has stopped the good practice. The husband texted her and said, Hey, you no longer accompany me. You no longer tell me goodbye. Why? But we don't always go together. But today I was at home waiting for you. But we don't always go together. We don't even walk at this. Sometimes when you start arguing, you start thinking, 
is this really the problem? Why is he angry that I left without telling him? What's what going is on? They sit together on the table, but they're not talking to each other. They eat and then they go to sleep, and the husband looks away, sleeps while looking on this side, and she looks on the other side, and then they spend there like days without talking because of this small thing. This is wrong. This is very bad. We need to sit down and talk about this. But I saw that uh, these are things that happen. You couldn't find in any couples that every day someone is telling you goodbye, goodbye. What her husband likes to do, he schedules the meeting that they're going to have. He says, today, me and my wife, we are going to sit together at this time, at this place, at home, or either out, uh, like a restaurant, and then we're going to talk about this. And then the husband was like, maybe you can tell me hello. And the wife was like, no, you shouted at me. We're not supposed to do that. And the husband was like, but I did not have to tell you that we have to go together. Before you get married, you have to set up the way you are going to communicate. Everyday communication is very, very important. People are not objects. They have got ideas. They have got to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these people should hear this. Sometimes, when we struggle to communicate, art becomes a means of expression. Duta, who provided the artwork for this book, loves painting portraits, partly for that very reason. Here is Nduta in Nairobi, being interviewed by my colleague, Beverly. So we are with Nduta Karyuki. And I am an artist. I paint mostly mm-hmm. uh, using acrylic. You work a lot with portraits, and in them, what do you try to capture? Is it character? Is it just what someone looks like, the uniqueness of their features? What are the things that strike you, and how do you try to interpret that on the page? The first thing that I really liked about portraits when I was starting out was the eyes. You can know them without actually really knowing them, I guess, but actually having met them. I'd take a lot of pictures online, like don't they just come across... But then lately I tried to you know, take my own shots that, and then you always paint them and they don't look like they are. It's like you're revealing them in a different way, I guess. I think about people, not in any order, but it's just thoughts that come to my head about this person because we're all sharing the human experience, I guess. 
Mm. Is that for both people you know and people you don't know? Yeah, people know? also don't know. Yeah, it, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like creating a story yeah, for them as you yeah, read as, them. As you, exactly. Most of the ones that I've done are very sad and <laughs> low-key. So mm. I'm drawn to those faces because I guess I'm, I'm like that a lot. I don't know. It's therapeutic for me, I guess, because, you know, you don't feel like you're alone in the world. <laughs> mm. And then when you're having your down moments, for instance, or moments when you're just feeling like, I don't want to do this. Is there something you go back to other artists you look at to sort of remind you why you do what you do? <clears throat> I'd say I'd say most of my inspiration probably comes from, <laughs> if not from Facebook, because I follow a lot of artists. I follow a lot of uh, just people, just normal people, you know, mm. yeah, who post about their lives and you and you get encouraged by what they're doing. My friend and artist is called Jeff, and Jeff is one of my close friends, so he'd be one of the guys uh, who'd. Uh, have my back if I'm feeling, you know, mm. you know, and then he's an artist, so it kind of worked both ways, you know. He understands the art world, and he also understands <laughs> being a human, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and then I, I listen to a lot of reggae, so, mm. <laughs> and you know, nature. Like I like, you know, walking in the wind. I don't know, <laughs> looking at the trees, <laughs> looking at the birds. I don't know. It's, I find inspiration in a lot of things. I can't say it's one specific thing. Or even even in people, like, I observe a lot of people, like, when I'm in my tattoos and I keep looking at the window and I look at people and I try to think about their lives and I try to, I don't know, it it, it helps me think think of maybe other things other than myself, I guess. Mm. Yeah, so it's like, I like um, just being observant in general. People are very interesting to look at because we're all different and all the same. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's, I like looking at people, you know, sniper, not, not at you, <laughs> not, not outright staring, <laughs> but just look at them. Yeah. So when I make these paintings, and they're of people that I know, and it's and I'm making them because of something they said to me, and it's kind of hard for me to portray what that felt like to the person now looking at the painting. Mm. But I do hope that when they look at it, they see more than just faces. They can kind of read something more personal to them, I guess. That's what I'd hope for. <laughs> sort of like identifying a humanity. Or yeah, whatever. something human in them. Because I find that the people who speak to me and are open with me, I find that I want to just paint them. I just have to. For people who listened to the radio book, thank you. There are two more radio books out there, Resistance and Modern Myths. You can access all the podcasts, including Kinyarwanda versions of the stories, on radiobookrwanda.com. There, you can also find out where you can borrow or buy the physical printed books. Radio Book Rwanda is a new multimedia literary imprint showcasing Rwandan and East African creative voices. There are three radio books, each featuring the work of one writer and one artist. The accompanying podcasts feature dramatized narrations of the text, as well as interviews with the writers, artists, and individuals leaving similar experiences to those found in the stories. Radio Book Rwanda is the brainchild of three publishers, Huzo Press in Kigali, Rwanda, Kwani Trust in Nairobi, Kenya, and No Bindings in Bristol in the UK. 
It is a new art, new audiences project supported by the British Council's East Africa Arts Program. Radio Book Rwanda. <laughs> Radio Book Rwanda. Radio Book Rwanda. <laughs>